0: You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. You know, the whole time we were worshiping, I was like, why am I so sad? And Lee, and, I, and Jesus is like, Antley, you're preaching on what I went through so that I would lose none. None that my father has called to himself. That I would lose none. And there's just this thing going on this morning about the value and the importance of living for Christ. And when we do there's pain. When we do, there's suffering. When we do, there's struggle. When we do, it's hard at times. But Jesus says, you know, but that's what makes life feel valuable. That's what is good about life, is that you do put your heart out there. You do live and struggle. But Jesus says, you know, it's all worth it for me. It's worth it for me. Because I mean, that's what I always say to them. Like when someone dies, or I have to do a funeral, or something's hard, or I see suffering, or there's a brokenness that I don't understand. I just like I just I just tell Jesus point blank, Mother, you this better be real. This better be real. Because if it's not, it's just too painful. It's just too painful. The first week of First Corinthians, we talked about power and love. The second, power and unity. And then I love that clip. The third week, we talked, last week, Courtney uh, Bowser talked about believing that that power and that that opportunity is available for us. And this week, I'm going to talk about power and proclamation. Power and proclamation. And I want to begin with this question. What does your life proclaim? Boom, starting. What does your life proclaim? What is the testimony or the story of your life? What is the message that you're sending? What is the message that you like to write about, that you like to talk about? What is it that's central to your heart? What would other people say the message of your life is if they were to communicate to you? If you didn't tell them anything and someone, and I asked them, hey, what's, what's, what's Samantha about? What would you, what's Holly about? And what's Bobby about? What's Mac about? Mac, it's great to have you back, even though you look like the dictator in that new movie coming out. Which makes me wonder, you might have a bomb. And so, you know, if we're going to Jesus now, the pain's there. I I would gladly follow. Okay, but anyway, it's good to have you back, Mac. But, but what, what, what is the message that your life communicates? Because that's what you—that's the message that you're proclaiming. You know, is it I'm doing just fine, I'm okay, or my life stinks? Is that what people think when they see your life? I hope not. But you probably feel like that way at times. You know, I'm strong is a message that a lot of us like to send. Or I'm well-rounded. I'm balanced. I have good kids. I am powerful. I am smart. I am broken. I am musical. I'm a hipster. Will, what, 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 Will why would you look up? I know, I felt like whenever Will got up to me, I needed to go like this, you know, just to like, <laughs> I think this is the right way you're supposed to wear these kind of pants, but it's just not, I feel like Huck Finn. Anyway, <laughs> but Will can pull it off because he's a hipster, you know, anyway, he doesn't try to be, it's just the message. I, I, or a good parent, I want to be seen as a good parent. I want to I, be seen, that's an important message that I'm communicating, or I'm desperate. We don't like to communicate that, but sometimes we do. Or maybe we like to because we like the attention. Here's a good one. I'm socially aware and politically correct. Thank you very much. And I happen to be a Christian. Don't mess with me. I like beer. <laughs> my kids got me a shirt for Father's Day last year or my Christmas that says, Beer makes me awesome. And I'm just like, <laughs> when can I wear that? Yeah, I wore it on the cruise last week. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's not true. It has the opposite effect, actually. But anyway, it should say, I feel awesome. Or beer makes me feel awesome. Anyway, Anyway, okay. I am powerless. I am. And you fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. What is the message that you're trying to send? Or what is the message that you are sending? What is it? What are you proclaiming to the world that is closest to your heart, that is most important to you? We see in this passage that we're getting ready to read in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, that for Paul, the only message worth proclaiming, the only message with any power to bring life and to change life, was the message of Jesus Christ. He says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. Lord, we pray this morning that we would hear the message that you have for us, but more importantly, that we would experience the power that comes through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us with this power that we, like Paul, would desire more than anything in our life for this message of Jesus to be known. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, you read that, and two times Paul says, it's not with lofty speech or wisdom. It's not with plausible words of wisdom. And my wife goes, you should read this every time right before you preach. (laughs) Really? Why is that? Well, I'm just saying. It's about power, honey. But um, I didn't take offense to that. But anyway, Paul comes off this previous section. You know, this is a place in the Bible where there's a big number two, and it looks like, oh, this is a natural break. This is like God... Okay, take a break. Whoever's writing, you know, Paul, take a break. But really, this, this, this should not be a break. There should not be a break here in Scripture. This is a continuous thought that Courtney was talking about last week. In the end of the section right before this, Paul says this. He writes this. He comes off this section. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then the very next sentence is... And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, if I boast, I will only boast in the Lord. And then he comes off and says, when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ crucified. You see, the, a good translation, when it says right there, ESV says, and I, right there. But a better translation than NIV uses, says this, it says, And so it was with me. And so Paul says this statement. He says, and if I'm going to boast, or if there's going to be any boasting, or I want to boast in the Lord. And Paul says, and so it is with me. I want to boast, and if I boast, and when I boast, I will boast in the Lord. Setting the stage to emphasize the importance of keeping Jesus central in our life. And then he continues, and he says, if I boast, I want to boast in the Lord. And as it was with me, brothers, I did not come proclaim to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Again, emphasizing it's not about him. Humbly proclaiming the truth of this simple message. I, I came and decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why is it for Paul, why is this so important? What's so important about this message of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified that's so important to Paul? Well, it's because Paul at his conversion experienced God's love and God's power that was the result of what Jesus did in his life. Remember, he's walking down a road, and in the life course, I talk about this. You know, he's he's killing and capturing Christians, and then there's like about 15 to 18 verses, and then all of a sudden, he's like proclaiming the gospel in a temple, which he could be killed for. He's talking about Jesus in a temple. And so what happens in between? He's walking down a road, and he experiences the love of Christ through the power of the Spirit, he experiences God's love in Jesus Christ. And Christ comes to him. Remember, he's blinded, and the people around him don't hear or see. They're like, What's going on here? It's craziness. It's like sensory overload and fireworks. He's experiencing God through the power of the Spirit. And so, Paul has had this transformation in his life. And this transformation came through Jesus Christ and the, the, the revelation that Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross for Paul is powerful. How does Paul know that? Because of his personal experience. It's Paul's personal experience with Jesus and his life that made Paul want to proclaim Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ in his life. Your life will proclaim the source of what changes your life. Your life will automatically, naturally Proclaim the source of what changes your life. We do this all the time in little ways along the road of life. Maybe it's a book. Maybe it's a movie. Maybe it's a song, a new band, a new store, a new relationship. What happens? Oh man, this is the best thing ever. Let me tell you about this. It's amazing. It's amazing. Free music Spotify is like changing my life. It's like free music forever. I don't know how they do it. It has to be illegal, but it's changing me. The new iPhone. Oh my word. It's just it's amazing. Let me show you all that it can do. You know? Or Bold Bean, have you been to Bold Bean? It will change your life. It's, a, it's like this bar and it's like this coffee house and they have these beans that they roast and it's like right there and you drink it and you feel like high, but you're not and it's legal and you gotta go hang out at Bold Bean. It's amazing. It will change your life forever. We all do it. We all do it. It's relate with relationships all the time. If you're in high school, you get know, this new relationship, and, and people just, you start acting different. And you're communicating something to the world. I'm in love. This person's changed my life forever. For the next 10 days, maybe, you know. <laughs> but eventually, and, and, and all those things do change our, wife, our life for a little while. They all do. That's really, they work. They work for a little while. For a little while. But eventually, we get hungry again for something deeper something lasting, something that will bring real change in our life, real change in our heart. Because in this life, we will experience all of the other messages that I talked about earlier, especially the negative ones. We will feel all those negative things. And if we aren't grounded in something deeper than what's temporal or than what feels good or what affects our flesh or makes our job easier or makes us feel good, We will dry up and run out and look for the next thing. Because we all have, we all at some point in our life feel like we are sending, whether we communicate to the world or not, we know that we feel at times broken. We feel like we're bad parents. We struggle with worrying and fear over our children. We are often desperate, even though nobody knows it. We often feel powerless, lonely, lost, And hopeless. And if we are not filled with a greater power than these to change our life, we will continue to believe that all of life and all of change is up to us. That it is with clever words, wisdom, and our effort, and the way we look, and how much money we make, and the school we go to, and the people we date, or we marry, or what part of town we live in. We will believe the lie that these things will lead to life, and they will for a little while. But Paul knows better. He knows better because he's experienced all that the world has to offer and comes back to Jesus to remind the church in Corinth that if you want to have change that is lasting, change that happens at the heart level that is eternal, it is only in Jesus Christ. He is the only one that has power to change our life. Paul knows, though, that the Corinthians, like us, struggle to believe that. We struggle to believe that Jesus is enough. There's a book written. I haven't read it, and I probably won't, but it's, it's a great title. It's not even in my notes, because I'm not going to read it. And I probably should have if I'm going to mention it. But I think it's something like, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's a very clever title by a young guy that I probably wish I was in some way, and so I won't read his book. But anyway, you can. But Paul knows that he struggles. He he, he definitely struggles with that. That's why I wrote the book, because he's trying to be something with (laughs) eloquent words. But not me. But Paul knows that we, like the Corinthians, struggle with this reality of believing that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And we sing that song, Your Love, Your Love. Can change the world. Your love can change the world. You came to change the world. Do we believe that Jesus' love and his love alone is enough to change us, is enough to transform our lives, is enough to empower us to live life that is full? That Jesus plus nothing in our life equals everything. Do we believe that? That's hard to believe. There, the world makes it really difficult to believe that. Even the church makes it difficult to believe that. The church says, no, 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 no. It's Jesus plus serving the poor. That's what it is. Or it's Jesus plus ministering in the power of the Spirit. That's what it is. Or it's Jesus plus really good worship. That's where it is. Or Jesus plus you get baptized. Or Jesus, you speak in tongues. The Corinthian church struggled with all of these issues that we struggle with. And Paul says, no, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's only Jesus. It's only the power of Christ in your life that will bring any lasting change. He goes out of his way to communicate this to a church that's placing value in things that there is no value to be found. In the gifts, in speaking in tongues... And worldly wisdom, worldly fame, and creating hierarchy within the church. Paul's saying, no, it's not those things, guys. It's Jesus. It's relationship with Jesus. That the power that the people need to experience real transformation and change in their life and in their town, in their town of Corinth, and in the church, will come only from Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. And it was only, and Paul knew this, it's only when we experience Jesus in a real way, like Paul did, that they, that they will proclaim or that we will proclaim to the world the message of Jesus. Paul says this, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul knows that for them to believe in Jesus and to follow Jesus, they will need to experience his love firsthand, as he had. They need to experience the power of Jesus. Not just hear the message of Jesus, but experience the power that comes through loving and knowing Jesus Christ. That this power came from God through his Holy Spirit, not and people of any sort with any other message. Paul knew this firsthand. He had just come from Greece. He had just finished debating with philosophers and other higher-ups in society with no avail. We read this in Acts. And he's disappointed. He tried to win their hearts over with, with creative rhetoric, with words of eloquence and wisdoms from the world. And he failed. And so he shows up in Corinth, a metropolitan city. Very similar to Boston, where Ed and Aaron are going. It's a port town. He shows up there as a tent maker. Again, a place where rhetoric, wisdom, and intellect are valued very highly. All of which Paul was. All of which Paul could have leaned back on his strengths. But Paul chose not to. Paul falls back not on the things of the world, but instead says, No, I'm tired. I've tried that. It doesn't work. It's only Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ crucified. That's where there's power. That's where there's life. That's the only hope for change in your church and in your city. The power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, what's so powerful about this for Paul and for us is not that Jesus was killed... For you or for me. It's, that's what's not powerful about it, is the actual death on the cross. You see, there have been lots of people in time. There's been lots of people in the history of the world that have died for other people. There are lots of people who have died for other causes. And so it's not the death of Jesus that is significant about the death of Jesus. So what makes Jesus' death so powerful? What is it? What is it to Paul? Why does Paul keep saying this? It's Jesus Christ, and not just Jesus Christ. It's the death of Jesus Christ. Why is that so powerful? I know, I know. Because Jesus died for my sin. Absolutely. I mean, substitutionary atonement. I know that's what some of you are thinking, you theologians out there. Hanley's going to talk about the atonement. Finally, deal with my sin. I'm tired of managing it. Then quit managing it. But we think, we think that that's what the cross is about. And there's, there's some truth there. There is truth. Jesus died for the sins of the world, and that must make his death powerful. is that he died for your sin, the atonement of your sin, substitutionary atonement, that his, his death substituted for your death that you deserve. But come on, is that really that exciting? Is that exciting? I mean, are you going to walk up to a friend and be like, hey, dude, let's talk about sin. Let's talk about your sin. Is that really what God wants us to be excited about? Is that really the message that God gives us to go love people with? It's the truth, and it is true. It speaks about the legality of what had to take place in our relationship with God to justify us before God. And Paul, man, he really impacts us well in Romans, but we're not in Romans. We're in the love book. We're in the love book. And in the love book, Paul says there is something great, not greater. See, I'm exaggerating. But something that Paul had experienced that was more power than what happened legally between him and God. It's what happened relationally in his heart as he experienced God's love. What makes it powerful to Paul or to us is the same thing that transforms and changes our life. It's our experience of God's love as we experience God's power. As we experience God's power in our life, we experience God's love for us. And as we experience God's love for us, it changes our heart. It changes how we see life. It changes how we live life. But there's something that Paul says here that I skipped over on purpose I want to end with. And it goes back to the first verse. It says this, And when I came to you, brothers... Did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. What makes the power of the cross powerful, what makes Jesus powerful is that he is God's testimony. Think about how much we lift up testimonies in our church. Why is that? Why is it that people, when they talk about River City Church, they talk about our testimonies? Because a testimony is truth that has happened in a real, factual way that communicates something about the importance of whatever it is in your life you're talking about. A testimony is powerful because it's real. It's not something that we read about in the Bible. It's not something that that, that, that happened to someone else. It's like, this happened to me. This happened to me. And so what is God's testimony? I mean, what if, I mean, what is his story? I mean, what if God showed up here? Like, "Ain'tley I have a testimony. Like, God walks in the door. Ain'tley, I have a testimony. And I go to him and I say, yes, God, what have you done in your life lately? I mean, because that's what I have to say, right? All right, God, don't jibber jab. What have you done in your life lately? What have you done in your life lately? And God's response, well, I had this son. Let me tell you about my testimony. I had this son whom I loved very, very much. We were very close, as close as you could be to somebody. We did everything together. We built stuff. We created stuff. We dreamed. We laughed. We joked. We were always together, and we always have been. We were the best of friends. You could even say, and people have, That we were one. Then one day I lost him. He died. Whoa, 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 God, this isn't turning out good Here is probably what I would say, something like that. What happened? And then God would say something awkward like, well, I killed him. And then I would say something like, what are you talking, what do you mean you killed him? Well, I had to, is what God would say. It was the only way. You see, I had other children that had never known my love. And the only way for them to experience my love was for the first son, the one closest to me, to die. It's really complicated, and and I can't get into it all now. But my testimony, River City Church in Nantley, my testimony, what's most important to me, what's most central to my story, is about my son, Jesus. Jesus. Him crucified. What he did on the cross. His death. So that, so, so that my children could experience the love. That we had. What makes. What Jesus did on the cross so powerful. Is that it is the creator's testimony. It is his most powerful. And most central story. Of who he is. And his love for us. The reason Jesus and his death is so powerful and so important to us. It's because it testifies or tells the story of what God, our Father, feels and thinks about us. Jesus Christ crucified tells the story of God's love for you. That he is willing to sacrifice what is most important to him and close to him so that you could be brought close so that you could experience what he and Jesus had. Only in Jesus can we experience God's love. And as we experience his love for us, we will be changed, really changed at the heart level, the life level, the eternal level, every part of our life and forever. And as we are changed, we will proclaim our proclamation will be Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. Now, everybody, there's a, a card on your seat. And w- the way I want to end this is with this. Is there's pens and there's cards in your seat. I want you to take the card, and I want you to write your name on the front of the card. Right now. Just do that right now. Just write your name on the front of the card. Write your name on the front of the card. Okay, now that shouldn't have taken long, because everybody's done. It's just your name, folks. It's just your name. Now then, flip the card over. Now, your name being written on the front is there to remind you of what Jesus Christ has done to make you His. Okay? Now, on the back of the card, I want you to write the names of three people that don't know Jesus. Three people don't write, like, a political leader's name or don't, like, write somebody, like, distant off or, like, a sports player or, you know. So write somebody who is a friend of yours or a neighbor or a co that does not know Jesus. It's not in relationship with Jesus. And if you can't think of three, that's Okay. That's part of what today's talk's about. It's alright. The more and longer we're Christians, the more we choose to be with Christians. (laughs) So, if you had a hard time writing three names down of non-Christians, just know this. Just know this. Just know this. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But, it's not ideal. Because... Paul is communicating in this book to the church and to us individually that our life, proclaiming Jesus Christ crucified, should find roots in the reality that people are dying around us and that we aren't showing up here on Sundays or back in the time of the ancient Near East for the heck of it. We're showing up, and what should be most exciting to us, besides our relationship with Jesus, is the message that we're proclaiming The proclamation of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified is supposed to find its way to the ears and into the lives of the lost. If you read any church growth book, they say the number one factor in churches that are healthy and continue to grow is that there are people who are lost coming every week. Sundays are fun days are days that we are being intentional as a church to create opportunity for you to bring the lost, to love the lost, to start praying for the lost. And if you don't feel in your heart a desire for them to know Jesus, then turn the card over and remember what Jesus has done for you. Spend more time with Jesus and Jesus Christ crucified. It's out of your love for him, like Paul, that you will proclaim the message to other people. And you're going to take these cards. I don't want to see them. You're going to take these cards. You're going to put them on your refrigerator and have the awkward moment when your neighbor walks over and goes, Dude, what's my, what's my name doing on your card? What's, <laughs> what's wrong with that? Oh, I'm just giving large sums of money away and you're on the list. <laughs> Let's stand. You know, this morning, whenever I was losing it in worship, as I was thinking about Ed leaving, and uh, I just—I was so thankful. I was so thankful. Because I love Ed. I was so thankful that the Lord has brought him into my life, and it's as painful as it is for me to lose him as a friend. I was praising the Lord, saying, thank you for the relationship I have with Ed. That's how we should feel towards each other. That's how we should feel towards people who are lost. Is we should be compelled by love. It should hurt when we lose them to the enemy. It should hurt when we lose them. They have to go to another, the next thing they're called to. And if it doesn't, we should be spending more time with Jesus. So he fills us with the love that compels us to love each other well and to love the lost. So right now, we're going to have...